0: so happy to be here. I'll tell you even in in Canada when you go into a church, you just don't see all these smiling faces and 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 things are in order and and things are clean and nice. I don't know how to describe it. It's just different. It 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 people are scattered. They they're just not as friendly it looks like as here, but but uh it's just good to be. It's kind of like going home to be able to come back and to talk to y'all and and uh, just be around faces, friendly faces that I know, people I've been able to talk with. So I appreciate it, Pastor. Allow us to come and let me speak. Well, this morning, if you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4, we're going to look at verses 8 through 21. And we're going to look at a spectacle to the world and to the church. As you know, we have um, probably one of the greatest spectacles coming up, and I forgot about... Next week is uh, is the big football ordeal. So, you know, most churches just shut Plum down or they put the big screen TV up and, and it's the greatest spectacle in sports. But also the Olympics is coming and, and we've been fretting there in, in Canada trying to figure out how they're going to do all this. I was with a friend the other day and... And uh, was well, going over to this Bible study, and he says, Jesse, I couldn't even get on the SkyTrain this afternoon. So I, me and my son was going to go over. I wanted to get him some guitar strings. I couldn't even get on the SkyTrain. It was so packed that we ended up taking another bus to even get around. And I'm thinking, it's not even the Olympics yet. How are they going to get people around in that city? But it, I guess they're going to put up cattle guards and move the people around. But it's going to be quite a spectacle. But stay home and watch it is what I... Texas, brother. Is that it? <laughs> But let's take a look at this morning at a spectacle, to the, a spectacle to the world and to the church. It starts out there in verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings, and that without us. How I wish that you really had enough, had become kings, so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display. At the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena, we have been made a spectacle to the world or the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, and we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated, and we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this point, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuge of the world. I am not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I become your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I am sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out, not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have! For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip, or in love, with a and and, and with a gentle spirit? Let us pray, fathers. We look at this scripture today. It seems like Paul is being very hard on the Corinthians, and yet, Father, as we look at the truth in the Bible and we understand it. We need to be humble. We need to realize that our lives are in Christ. And, Father, if we don't know you as Lord and Savior, we need to humble ourselves and recognize that without you we have no life. There is nothing eternal about our life here on this earth without you. Father, meet with us this morning. Help us to recognize with Paul how we can better ourselves in trying to be humble and realizing that our lives is in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When Paul called himself... And the other apostles, a spectacle of the world, there in 1 Corinthians 4 9. It was an image familiar to the Roman Empire. The government kept the people entertained and pacified in the different cities. The amphitheaters would uh, be filled with citizens, eager to see men compete in games and prisoners fight with beasts or wild animals. You see, the Greek word for spectacle it gives the English word theater so it was very important to them to be able to have these places that they could they could entertain each other the Colosseum at rome became the center of the entertainment and after the main event of the poorest and or or after the um, center of this entertainment and after the main event the poorest and the weakest prisoners were brought into fight with the beast no one expected too much from their performance so the ones that were so Weary, so wore out. Those Christians, those that that really cared about God, they were put in the arena to fight with these wild animals. What a picture of the apostles of Jesus Christ! But it forms the background for a series of contrasts here that Paul presents to us, and the purpose of trying to humble the Corinthians. Do you remember when you was really young, when you was a teenager, when you was so humble? I remember my mom, I was about 16, and she bought me this plaque, and I set it down in my room. It says, I wish, let's see, how, how did that go? Um, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. I can remember that little plaque, and I thought, why did she get that? Is it because I'm so humble? I don't think so, but, but that's sometimes, you know, what we think. We think we're humble, but we're really not. We're always prideful and, and trying to think we know everything. And that's probably more of what I was as a teenager. But look at three questions back in verse 7, just before verse 8 there. Look at the three questions that that Paul asks there. For who makes you different from anyone else? And what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? You see, this should humble us just thinking about this, just just to look at these verses right here and to realize. Story, a young preacher said to a very good friend, Please pray that I, I, that I stay humble. And the friend said, Well, tell me what you got to be proud about. <laughs> and then, Did you hear about the minister who had the most wonderful sermon on humility, but he was waiting for a large crowd to be able to preach it to? Now, that just doesn't fit. That just doesn't fit. Do you have one like that, Pastor? The best commentary on this subject of humbleness is the witness of John the Baptist, back over in John 3.27, where he said, To this John replied, a man can receive only what is giving to him from heaven. And in verse 30, he must be greater, and I must be less. He must increase, I must decrease. And Paul says, I wish I could reign with you and be important, but instead, I have to be in the arena and suffer for Jesus Christ. You are first in man's eyes, but we are last. But in the eyes of God, the apostles are first. Or in First Corinthians twelve twenty, it says, "And the church, and in the church, God had appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, and also having gifts of healing, those able to, to help others, those with gifts of admiration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues." There's a place for pride in the, or there is no place for pride. In the ministry, and if Paul considers himself last and truly what a great leader he was, how can we consider ourselves anything but less than Paul? Church members were wrong when we measure uh, when we measure ourselves and uh, other than with the standard of God, and they 're wrong when when they boast about their favorite preachers, and i don 't mean this in a bad way, but But we shouldn't be boasting in a way that uh, we've got these favorite preachers either on TV or in our churches or where we're at, but it's more we should glory in Christ, glory in what God's given us and how he's given us people that can speak. But now we want to go to um, look at some of the contrast here in this scripture. In verse 10, in the first part of verse 10, you see wise men versus fools. If Paul would have remained a Jewish rabbi he could have attained great heights in the jewish religion or he wouldn't have uh, or he, he wouldn't have to have ministered with the gentiles or stayed with the jewish legalists in in jerusalem church he would have avoided the great deal of persecution that he went through paul was a fool according to men's standards but the corinthians were wise in their own eyes they kept telling paul we we've got it made we know who we are the way they way to become spiritually wise is to become a fool in the eyes of the world. 1 Corinthians 3.18 says, Do not deceive yourselves. If anyone of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should be a fool so that he may become wise. So it's it's quite a contrast there. Think of the words of missionary Jim Elliott. says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he can't lose. And then the second part of that contrast is in the second half of verse 10, be as strong men versus weak men. There was a time Paul glorified in his own strengths. Then he meets Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, that changed his life. It was through through his own suffering that Paul discovered his spiritual strength. It was a, a result of his personal weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10 says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the um, su- super, uh, surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in the weakness and results in hardships and persecutions and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. See, the Corinthians were proud of their spiritual achievements, the fractions in the church. They were proud of their human leaders and their favorite preachers, but of all this was only weakness. They thought they were really something. Boy, I'll tell you, with Paul out of the way, they could practice and do about anything they wanted to. There is strength only when God gets the glory. That's the only strength there is. And then the third part of this: honorable versus dis- despised. In the from ten C, the last part of ten to uh, verse thirteen. You see, this is the crux of the whole matter. The Corinthians wanted the honor that comes from many not not the honor that comes from god they wanted men to look at them and go you know i'm really something but they didn't want to look and see what god had to say to them but all this was just uh they were barring glory by associating themselves with great men paul questioned if you want to associate with us you better be ready to suffer because christianity isn't about just being out here and and getting people look at you and go, look i'm a christian because when you start telling people you're a christian they're probably going to walk away or they're going to be looking at you with a with a microscope to to see what kind of a spectacle you really are for them we apostles are not held in honor but in but despised paul goes on to share the suffering that they will endure as a servant of god just paul saying he worked as a tent maker lowered the expectations of many greeks they despised manual labor so him to say he was a temp maker it's like ooh man i don't even know if we could follow paul because what's he doing doing that manual labor we don't we don't like that kind of a thing paul also let us know how he responded to life situations the way people treated him and how he treated them back in itself it helped make paul a great man of god just think when paul was despised He blessed just as Jesus commanded. And when he was persecuted, he endured. And then when he he was slandered, Paul tried to make peace. And in all things, he sought to respond in love. It was so important to Paul to let people know that as I am, I try to represent Christ and I want to be just like him. What was the end result? Men treated him as filth of the earth or this world. Verse 13, when we are slandered, we answer kindly, up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuge of the world. It is not fit that he should even live. You see, over in Acts 22, 22, it even says, the crowd listened to Paul until he said this, then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. Man, how can a man that, that's standing and trying to share Christ and giving them eternal life... And then he's treated like this. It doesn't make any sense. But there it is. Paul and the other apostles were treated just as their Lord was. God vindicated them and brought glory to his name. It wasn't about Paul. It was about Jesus Christ. Faithfulness in service. Humbleness in mind. These are two important characteristics of a minister of Jesus Christ. And willing to work and willing to suffer go along with that. You know, sometimes we don't want to do that. When we sit down and think about it, Boy, to teach a Sunday school class, to go out here on the street, to get involved in a Bible study, uh, almost anything you can think of, if you sit around and think of it long enough, you can figure out, Boy, I'll tell you why that's going to be some work. I've got to give up time. I'm going to miss out on this favorite show. I, there's other things I'd like to do. I'd like to build a, another building. There's something that's going on in, in my family's life. So you've got to take that and really weigh that out and try to figure out what is the most important thing to me. What am I going to grow from? How is this going to affect my life in the long run? It's one thing to be faithful and another to be popular. Now let me tell you about a third characteristic uh, that helps balance out the others is tenderness versus the father, and that's verses 14 through 21. Tenderness versus the father. Paul had compared the local local church to a family back in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4, but now the emphasis is on the minister, of a, spiritual, or the minister of, a, of a spiritual father. In none of Paul's letters did he ever call himself a father. I'm sure he knew the teachings that Jesus taught back in Matthew 23, 8 through 12. He says, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call every, anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to call or to be called teacher. For you have one teacher, the Christ. And the greatest among you are all or will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Paul reminded the church of the important ministries he had performed through and, and by himself. And we're going to go back and just look at three points very quickly here to the rest of this chapter. First, Paul had founded a family. And that's what we need to do. We be, need to be involved in family. But here, Paul founded a family, verse 14 through 15. The Corinthians were Paul's beloved children in the faith, he said. And we, when we have the joy of leading someone to Christ, we become his or her spiritual father or spiritual mother. And that doesn't mean that, that we gain any kind of authority over them or access. It's just that we had the opportunity to share with them that we need to make disciples out of them. We can't put that over on somebody else. You can't go say tag you're it and then give them to a church or give them to somebody else because you can't leave them on, left aside. They need a, a spiritual father, need a spiritual mother to come alongside them and help them. Over in 2 Corinthians one twenty four, it says, not that we lord it over your, over your faith, but we work with you and your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. We're looking for that person that will truly grow in christ it doesn't form a special relationship that god can help that born again person grow listen the local church is god's family for helping the new christians grow and develop paul never took credit for any of their conversions their spiritual birth was in christ and through the gospel all he said was he was therefore assisting in the birth and and helping them but he didn't take any credit for he gave it all the glory to god as children, we may have many guardians and teachers, but we can have only one father. Paul founded the church in Corinth, and Apollos followed him and taught the people. And in some way, uh, it's not really made clear, but even Peter was also there ministering Corinth, or, or maybe he'd even sent representatives to help in, in place of him, but, but some way Peter was even involved. But, but Corinth had representatives of Peter, but god's children need the ministry of different teachers you shouldn't be just taught by your pastor there's other teachers there's other people here that's learning and training and theologically strong so you can't just always go and and plus your pastor's busy so a lot of times you can't if if you all came at once to him there's no way he can he can uh take care of each one of you all at once So we have to spread out. We have to have more teachers. We have to have more people in the ministry, more parts of the body that that go to work to help in the ministry. And you probably remember who your spiritual father was. I can remember back in Wichita, Kansas, when I was uh, trusted Christ as my Savior. His name was Pastor Roy Johnson. And um, I'll never forget. You know, he he was the one that was was able to stand up and, and tell me what truth was. And for a year and a half, I kept listening to him, but I just couldn't quite figure it out. But once I did, I realized he was the one I needed to learn from because he knew the truth. Everything I looked in the Bible as he said it, it was right there. I didn't have to worry about if he was making up something or giving me something that wasn't real. So he'd become my spiritual father. He started training me and, and helping me to understand more. And then second, Paul was an example to his family in verse 16 to 17. Children have a way of irritating their parents, don't they? Either for good or for bad. And researchers tell us that teenagers, teenagers actually learn to drink from their parents. And my guess is they probably learn other bad habits from their parents also. I know growing our children up, um, I grew up with alcohol in my family, but after my two daughters were born, after I received Christ, there was no, none of that in our household. So hopefully... Um, they would not able to see any of those things other than maybe in videos or something that we had around that, that they was able to see their dad with, with beer and cigarettes and things going on and we tried to raise them that way but it still doesn't mean they won't fall off the wagon and, and end up doing something crazy as it goes along but but we tried to, to give them the best examples we possibly could to raise them up you see the word followers literally means mimics followers do uh, what are do what they are taught and they watch and learn and to mimic their leaders just as a little baby does you know as you as you do something that little baby does the same thing and it's just monkey see monkey do but as they learn they start mimicking that so we want to mimic things in our children's lives that will help them to recognize that they can be strong christians paul gives the same warnings in philippians 3 17, join with others in following my example brothers and take note of those who live according to the pattern we give you. Little children learn first by example and then by explanation. That's how they learn. And when Paul pastored the church in Corinth, he set, by, set um, the example before them in love and devotion to Christ, sacrifice and service. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's our example. That's who we need to mimic is Jesus Christ. Paul was a good example because he followed the greatest example of all. Paul was also a good teacher. It takes both a good example and a good teacher to bring children um, along to maturity to help them out. And Paul sent Timothy, one of his spiritual children, to remind the church of the doctrine and the practices that Paul always taught. It was so important that Paul wanted to make sure that these corinthians went on he sent one of his best students one that really was would stand out one that would practice the principles and the doctrines that paul had set forth for him that he knew when he sent timothy there he wasn't going to go off onto some other tangent and do something different than what he was told or what he what he was taught that he would stay right with the word of god he may work out his um his will in a different way but the basic doctrines and the principles are always the same. They're always in, in, in truthful. Philippians 2, 12-13 says, Therefore, my brother, or my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absences, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who, who works in you the will to act according to his good purpose. Listen. Churches have moved away from God's wisdom and they've substituted, man, substituted for man's wisdom. And there's so many churches in America, and especially in Canada, that has went so liberal. They've given up on God's word. They haven't taken this so seriously that they start using man's wisdom and doing what they want to do and saying what they want to do and people are getting confused. They don't know what truth is. We have serious doctrinal deficiencies among our various churches right now. It's unbelievable. Men have gone beyond that which is written, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Because of this, it has been brought division into our churches. We don't have that ability as evangelical Christians sometimes to come together and say, we all believe identically the same thing because somebody's going to do something about baptism. Somebody's going to say something about um, the way uh, we um, treat children, or, or, or something that will will uh, devastate you when when you think, how could they think that way when the Bible says this? And to try to change their minds and their hearts, they're going, no, I've already thought this out, and this is what I believe, or this is what somebody told me. And in third, Paul was faithful to disciple the family. The most important thing, verses eighteen to twenty-one. A child, uh, a child's will must be broken, but not destroyed. You take even a horse, it's very dangerous if it's not broken, but once you break him and have him where he's able to be ridden or able to plow with him, he becomes uh, something very useful. But once um, a child's the same way, pride's a terrible thing in the Christian life and in the church. Sin has made the Corinthians puffed up, even at the point of saying, Paul will not come to us. They were saying his bark is worse than his bite. Every one of us, when it comes down to understanding what humility is, we almost have to be broken down because our pride lets us think of things that, that we think we're right in. Even Sometimes, even when you're right, you almost got to say, I'm going to humble myself and not stand up and not argue or not fight. It's almost better just to sit down and, and not stand for something even when you're right you're better off just say you know let's not argue about this let's let's give up on that and we'll maybe take this up at a at a different time or something pride's terrible second corinthians 10, 11, 10 and 11 says for some say his letters are weighty and forceful but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking among us is nothing such people should rel- realize that what we are in our letters, we are absent. When we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. Paul's even been very patient with them. By the time, uh, but the time had come and he had warned them, and he'd given time to get ready, but now he's coming. He says, I've got to come to you. Have you listened to your, to moms before with little children and you, they might be outside, and I, I recognize, and they'll say, now, if you do that one more time, I'm going to whip you. Now, I, I told you, if you do that one more time, and boy, they look up and they do it again. Now, I'm telling you, I, I'll just give you one more shot at this, and then you're getting a whipping. And it goes on and on, but they never come to the point of actually punishing them. And then they have all this problems and situations, and if, if children grow up that way, then they know they can get away with anything. And that's how we are as Christians. We shouldn't be able to get away with anything. We should recognize that we need to be obedient. We need to trust in God's word. We need to realize that when we're being trained, when we're being taught, that we listen to our teachers and that we're able to to be trained up in the word of God. Paul gave the Corinthian church time to put their house in order. Everything Paul taught was the same everywhere in every church. He didn't ever change it around. The truth is always the truth, and it'll never change. It's got to be that way. We can uh, be under good ministry of teaching, but if we get away from it, even just for a season, sometimes we forget what we know, and before you know it, we can start thinking that um, we don't believe the Word of God. Maybe we can tear this part out. Maybe we don't have to follow this part of the Word. Maybe it's not real in our life. That's why Paul sent Timothy to reinforce and remind the Corinthians about the truth of the word of God, and it wasn't going to change. And Paul was going to come back sometime, and he was going to set the thing straight. And if they didn't believe it, he would come there with a whip if he had to. Well, the kingdom of God is not in words, but in power. That's what the, what the kingdom of God is. God's power is different than man's philosophy and wisdom. God's power changes minds and hearts, and we will never be the same after the Holy Spirit changes our life. After we've received the Holy Spirit, there's no reason for us to go back into our own will. And sometimes we do, though. You will never be the same. The way we look at things, the way we see life, the way we, we react to others with humility, and most of all, your newfound access to the throne of God, that we can pray, and that we can seek His face. All we've got to do is recognize that humility needs to come into our life, that we might receive this power through prayer, through supplication to realizing that that god has the answers for us if we could just trust him whether with a rod or in love or in spirit of meekness paul gave them a choice remember when you were growing up and authority was over the top of you and and they told you to do something and you had that choice to do something or to do one thing or 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 to be disobedient and you had to make that choice and even in today we sometimes forget but uh, like putting on a seatbelt. If they wouldn't pass laws that we put a seatbelt on, we'd probably go on not wearing seatbelts. But with the seatbelt law, the insurance companies has pushed it, the law enforcement has pushed it, and so we're going to wear them because we don't want those tickets. So there's got to be something that that brings us to the realization to keep us uh, uh, from doing what we want to do. Paul is saying you can change your mind and attitude or I can come and change it for you. Here's the question that each of us need to ask ourselves this morning. This is the question that we really need to think about. And are we doing all we can for the cause of Christ? Or are we disobedient children that are immature and have to be whipped and talked to all the time to be the Christians God wants us to be? When you think about that, I don't want to be whipped I don't want people to look and point at me and say, you know, he says he's a Christian, but he's not acting like one. And believe me, the world is watching you. They're watching you when you step in. They know just little tidbits that Satan allows them and and gives them just a little inset of what what the Word of God says. And so people take that. And you've heard him say, you're judging me. Or uh, I don't believe church is for me, and I don't even know if you're really a Christian. There's all these things that people are watching out there. They're looking to see what you stumble, to see you mess up so they can say, who are you? Are you really a Christian? And so we need to, to take this seriously, this question of are we obedient children or disobedient children? Do we know what we're supposed to be doing? Do we care about what God says and what he expects out of us? And each one of us are different. Not all of us are called to be missionaries or pastors or teachers. But each one of us are called to be the Christian, to be the light of this world, to do what God's called us to do. Are we rebellious and not caring what truth is in our life, that we want to do what we want to do? I'll go where I want to go. I'll see what I want to see. I'll turn on a computer and, and watch anything I want to, because that's not going to hurt me. I can go out here to, the, to a, a restaurant and, and, yeah, I can drink a few beers and it won't affect me. Because I'm still a Christian. It won't bother me a bit. But yet, to humble ourselves and to recognize that maybe we should keep things out of our life that will help us to be a better Christian. Things that draw us down, that drag us, and maybe even the friendships, the people we hang around, that maybe draw us into things that we wouldn't normally go into. We need to judge ourselves and see if we find any wicked thing within ourselves. And the only way you're going to do that is to truly pray and ask the Holy Spirit to to look inside you and that you might confess these things that are going on in your mind and in your heart, that you might give them up. Remember, we should be different as a Christian. Behold, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So why don't we get our lives in order so God doesn't have to punish us to respond the way we should? To truly, we don't have to be held accountable other than by what the Holy Spirit teaches us and trains us. And then this, this morning, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, if these things are foreign to you when it comes to being obedient, as it comes to understanding that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins along with for my sins, and that he was buried. How do we know he's buried? Because they put him in a tomb. He was dead. But then he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And that because of that, we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. But the only way you get that is to Believe to truly put your faith in the only one that can get you out of this world alive. Because you're going to spend eternity somewhere, either in heaven or you're going to spend it in hell. And if you're a Christian, if you trusted Christ as your Savior, you will spend it in heaven, but what we've done on this earth for Christ is all that's going to last. So we must put all of our efforts towards glorifying God in everything that we do, and that's going to take humbleness. It isn't going to take pride. And then if you haven't trusted Christ your Savior, it's going to take you coming down either to the front or getting with somebody after the service and sharing with them that you don't understand. And if you want to know how to trust Christ your Savior, that there's someone here that would be glad to help you to know that. Let's pray this morning. Father, we just ask you to humble our hearts, to recognize within us where we are guilty, Father, of doing things and Promoting things and letting people see us as we are sometimes in the world and not as you want us to be. And Father, as Paul was such a teacher, and that he wanted us to mimic him as he mimicked Christ. I pray that each one of us are ones that people can follow. That as little children, little young Christians, can be able to look up and say, I want to be just like him or like her. I want to be able to follow that person because. They know who Jesus really is. And I want to learn what your scripture says that I might not fall short of the glory of God. Lord, help us today to truly put within our hearts what we need to do. And then, Lord, send us out of here today recognizing that each one of us is part of the body of Christ, that you've given us special gifts to be able to reach out into this world. And most of all, Father, that we humble ourselves and trust you with everything that we have.